0: Thank you. you are, whenever you are, I'm really glad you're here with me. My name is Nick Boyle, and welcome to the work. So There's a saying in men's work, masculine alchemy, the work in general, no matter what gender, but specifically for men, it seems to ring a little more true that the longest journey is from our head to our heart. And it's never a straight path. It's winding, it's twisting, it's turning. There's highs in this journey and there are absolutely lows. And sometimes this journey takes a very real and physical manifestation. And that's the case with our guest today sam gibbs morris um i had the pleasure of speaking to sam for the very first time as we recorded this uh knew nothing about the man all i knew was from his uh profile picture on the brothership he had a cowboy hat on and i'm like must be from texas luckily i was right sam is located down in Austin, Texas, which I learned is quite the Mecca for the spiritual and conscious community. And today we got Sam's life story. It was a beautiful uh, conversation that was sparked from a question that uh, just kind of popped into my head as I heard him speaking just before we hit the the record button. And little did I know that that would spark the entire conversation which is wonderful and beautiful because genuine conversations between two brothers that just happen are the best. And for me, this was one of them. It was truly a delight is the word that comes to mind. It was a delight to sit down and chat with Sam with no idea what we were gonna talk about, no idea who this man is. But be able to get to know him on such a deep, intimate level Um, and for him to share his vulnerability with us and sharing his life story and how he got to where he is now, where he not only says fuck yes to life, but he helps other men say fuck yes to life as well. So without further ado, I give to you the episode, The Road to Saying Fuck Yes to Life with Sam Gibbs Morris. All right. So before we press the record button, you were, you were talking about all of the different places that you have lived over the years. Yeah. How do you see that or what have you seen as a result of that? Like, how do you see that playing out in your life as far as like maybe personality or different Mm -hmm. like, uh, tendencies It's just very fascinating to me that you just moved basically around the entire coast and and maybe you want to just give a brief overview for people listening um but yeah i'm really curious about that
1: yeah that's a great way to frame it um and i i uh i'll tell you the first thing that came up to me is that um i I, i've lived a lot of different lives um it really feels like through my evolution of the moving it it feels um There's times when it feel, all feels very separate to the point where it's almost like, did that happen? And there's also times where I meet some. I have. I look back at my like Facebook group or my Facebook friends. <clears throat> excuse me. And it's like, did I meet you in college or high school? I don't know. And it's like, or where, it this in Miami? And so uh, there's 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 merging and there's also separation. But I'll tell you kind of how it all went down. So I grew up in Vermont, born and raised in Vermont. Um, typically a cold weather state and uh i gravitated towards sports uh most mostly tennis Um, i played basketball and golf and baseball and soccer and i did a lot of skiing because you know in vermont skiing is like water skiing is in florida like you're just it's part of your dna it's it's what you do you know i was on skis when i was three years old and until i was about 18 when i decided to leave and uh you know, so, but the, the sport that really grabbed my attention and the sport that I really dropped into and was really good at was tennis. And so tennis is, you know, Vermont's a cold weather state. Tennis is a warm weather sport. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, being tennis courts are outdoors and finding indoor courts in Vermont. They're available, but they're, you know, kind of hard to get to. Things are pretty spread out in Vermont. So um, the first move I made out of Vermont was I... I actually did a fifth year of high school, a postgraduate year. So I graduated high school in Vermont in 1993. And that year um, it it worked out really well, but that year I got mono, a severe case of mono. And so I I missed the basically the middle three months of my senior year of high school, which is the time that a lot of colleges will look at to recruit athletes. Um, So like in order to play tennis, like I couldn't play tennis for three months. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting a lot of looks from colleges. And so I sat down with my parents and we decided that, you know, like, let's, let's go to a tennis academy in Florida. So in Tampa, there was a tennis academy called Palmer Tennis Academy, which is an offshoot of Saddlebrook, which is a huge resort down there on the west coast of Florida. Okay. And so I graduated high school in Vermont. And then that next fall, instead of going to college, I went to do this fifth year of high school at the Tennis Academy in Florida. So my schedule was basically uh, get up at 630 Uh, go to school from 7 30 till about 10 Uh, from 10 30 till 4 30 or 5 it's tennis or tennis related training so off-court drills uh, play matches it was and this was every day and then from 5 30 until about 7 30 was more school and then dinner Um, and so that was my schedule yeah and so it was all I mean it was honestly one of the best experiences of my entire life I was a massive tennis player and I felt like there was no tennis in Vermont and like to be able to go do that in Florida for a year and play tennis every day. um, It was a dream come true for me. And so through that, I got, I got recruited to play college tennis in North Carolina at Belmont Abbey College, which is right outside Charlotte. So that, that was my next move was going to North Carolina. And so I I went to college in North Carolina, played tennis for the college in North Carolina. And then just fell in love with the Carolinas and it was a really small school that I was at. So we had a really, really tight group of friends and a good majority of those friends. You know, there's a lot of people from New Jersey, some people from like Maryland, Virginia area, some people from Florida. Um, We all decided, you know, as a group basically to stay local and stay in Charlotte after college. Cool. And so, yeah, so I spent four years in college in North Carolina and then I spent another four and a half or five years and Charlotte, um, as you know, like from like age twenty three to twenty seven, um, and then when I was twenty five, I met I met a girl, fell in love, got married, and she was from South Florida. Um, she she had gone to college in North Carolina too, a different college. Uh, she went to UNC Charlotte, which is the you know University of North Carolina Charlotte, so a bigger school there. Sure. She also played tennis for that college. So I played tennis for my college. She played tennis for her college, and. So we met uh, randomly at a bar one night and just ended up falling in love. And uh, so we moved to her mom um, got really sick with cancer um, right around the time we got married. And so we decided that we, we had both been in North Carolina for about eight years at this point, And we both love tennis. I love golf. Uh, we love beaches, warm weather stuff. We had a bunch of friends in, in South Florida already. So we decided to move to Fort Lauderdale, where she was from, to kind of help her, help her family take care of her mom and and just enjoy being in Florida, where the weather's nice and we can play golf and tennis all the time and and all that stuff. And so um, that was the, the next move was down to South Florida. Um, And so for, we stayed married for about a year and a half, and then things kind of fell apart for various reasons. Um, And I moved down to Miami and I stayed in Miami from two thousand gosh, it must've been 2003 until 2009. So okay. about six years I stayed in Miami. And then um, and I can get into the nuance of all these. This is, this is when the move started to be a little bit, uh, I could say sketchy, <laughs> but uh, there was like, there was, you know, it wasn't because I, there was reasons behind these moves at this point. Um, and so I decided I was in Miami until 2009. I moved back to North Carolina. And, and the reason for these moves now has become because I was, I was deep into drugs and alcohol uh, to the point where there was a lot of consequences. You know, A few nights in jail here, a few nights in jail there. Um, there was some rehab stays, I went to rehab a few times. And these moves were basically now turning into what you know, people in the recovery community call geographics, where I was trying to move my environment to move myself. Sure. You know? and, and it was becoming, no matter where I went, like things just progressively got worse. So the consequences started getting more, relationships started falling away. And so I would create this disaster dumpster fire of a of a life, um, and you know and that's what Miami became was like just basically a, I mean it was a it was a disaster. Like I couldn't there was no no holding a job, there was no holding a relationship, there was no it was nothing but drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And so I said you know I'm going to go back to North Carolina where when I was there previously six or seven years ago things were pretty good. I get back to North Carolina. And, you know, it's thing, the old saying, if no matter where you go, there you are. Like I was still there. I was still deep into the drugs and alcohol and um, things got worse. And so I ended up back in rehab. I ended up actually back in South Florida at Del- in Delray Beach. Um, things kind of got a little better, but I, was still de- I still hadn't really handled any of the issues yet. I uh, went back to North Carolina I was there for three months, and this is when this was kind of like the bitter end of the drugs and alcohol for me. Uh, I ended up in jail for eight nights. I ended up um, in the hospital a few times. It was a two month long just complete tailspin uh, and this this is where at this point it was um, you know I, I I didn't feel comfortable going back to South Florida. I wasn't really doing really well in North Carolina um, Vermont didn't really have that much to offer me as far as like stability goes. Um, I decided that going to to Utah was the best. So I went to a rehab center out in Utah and stayed there for about nine months. and then from there, you know I, I was I was technically homeless, but it wasn't like I was living on the streets. I just didn't have an address or a home to go to. and so my sister was living in north in san francisco in Northern California. and um, he had an extra bedroom, and um, I thought, well, okay, so. You know, maybe I'll try out the West Coast for a while. So I went to San Francisco and it was honestly the best move I'd ever made. I wanted to go to L.A. Uh, that was my desire, my dream. I was actually going to I had this. I was a sports management major in college. So I had this desire to go to L.A. and become a, a, an agent like, you know, Jerry Maguire, Drew Rosenhouse, all those big agents. I was like, yeah, I don't know. yeah, that's my life plan here. Let's do this. The only problem was, is that I didn't have any sort of law background and I didn't have a driver's license at the time either because of a DUI. So LA with no license is a death sentence basically, and not having any sort of like uh, sports agent background, it's not exactly an easy industry to crack, crack. So I was like, you know, I fought it for a while, but then I finally just like accepted it and moved to San Francisco and became a personal trainer. And that wow. was, yeah. And that was the, that was the the real catalyst to like, me finding a purpose in my life of, you know, serving others and like basically shifting from you know, this what's in it for me to how can I help? Yeah. And it was, it was the most, I didn't even know this was possible, but it, it was the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my life is to get into a place of like helping people with their health and fitness. And so just see people come back to you, you know, six months or a year after you've worked with them and be like, you know, I had one client come back to me and he's like, yeah, I ran into an ex-girlfriend last night and she was like, you look amazing. What's going on. And he's like, Oh, I've been yeah. working with a trainer. And uh, he's, he came to me and said, thank you. And I was like, Oh, I was like, that's just like, I can't believe I, I did that for somebody. or I helped somebody do accomplish that. That yeah. so was amazing. And so, um, I stayed in the Bay area for six years. So I, I was there in San Francisco for four, and then I moved down to mountain view for three and, um, over that time, I did personal training for the four years I was in San Francisco. And then when I moved to Mountain View, I, uh, I had a bunch of, I had been four years clear of the uh, of the drugs and alcohol. And so I noticed that like a lot of my problem with getting sober, like the reason that what took me so long, it was 15 years of, you know, a, a, a downward slide and the last five were, were real like off a cliff. And I went to rehab a bunch in those five years and I'd always come out. And there was, I didn't have any skills to recalibrate my life. And so I recognized that like these guys coming out of rehab or just even guys that get getting sober 30, 60, 90 days, like they have to, there's a real, there's a recalibration that has to happen in your life. You gotta basically, you know, like, like people that go through like traumatic accidents, for example, have to learn how to walk again or learn how sure. to like use their hands again with occupational therapy, like rehabs like that. But like, there's not, there was nothing out there that was, that gave me a landing spot. So I'd come out of rehab, like, Hey, I'm, I'm new and I'm healed and I'm healthy. And I'm like, got this new outlook on life and life's like, oh wait, I'm still here. Yeah. And it's like, wait, so all these things that I couldn't deal with before I, I, I had dealt with my kind of like, I'd gotten, I'd gotten clean for 30 days or 60 days or 120 days, but like, I hadn't really done anything to like learn how to handle life. Like rehab's yeah. great. And if you really need it, go get away, reset yourself. But just know that when you come back, like, you might have changed a lot, but the outside world has not changed at all. And so I never
0: had, go ahead. I was going to say, does it feel almost like it was like a, uh, like a biological cleansing or healing that had happened? But like, as far as the emotional part, is that sort of what you're saying was still present? Because that's kind of the feeling that I'm getting when you're saying
1: this. Yeah, when you say biological, like. It was a physical healing. Physical, yeah, yeah, bio, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Physical, yeah. like a no, physical. No, it's, it, it's a good it. word for it. Yeah, because like you, you do your biology resets. Like you develop the new brain cells, and you get the yep. the healing happens biologically. But yeah, like you said, like there's no, there, like they, they, they have you set up a re like a an exit strategy and a plan like how you're gonna handle all this stuff. But then you yeah. get out there and it's like, wait, I don't really know how to handle it. And for me, what happened was is that I just, I mean. Eventually it did work for me. I went away to rehab and, but it was, it was really because I started asking, I started saying rehabs never worked for me as what I was saying before. Like that doesn't, that doesn't work for me for me. And so what I what I shifted to was like, oh, I have to do the work for it. And I, and I became ready to do that. And so um, when you come out, like you said, like, yeah, you're physically healed and your vision's clear and like that physical biological stuff is there. But yeah, the emotional stuff is like, wait, so my, this, this trauma from 13 years old, I didn't really, you know, you can't handle that in 30 days, like, you yeah. know, in one process group. So, you know, it, it, there was a, there was basically what happened is you come out of rehab and there's a disconnect. And so for, you, I moved, that for me, that was my experience with rehab was there was like this massive disconnect. And so it would it, uh, eventually like 30 days later, two weeks later, a day later, 90 days later, I would end up drinking again because I didn't know how to like go on a date sober or I didn't know how to like go watch a football game sober or go play golf and not drink. Like there was these things in life that I just like, I didn't, I there's massive disconnects between like, how do I do life? Like I want to do life. I want to do all these things that I enjoy, but I can't drink, but I can't enjoy them without drinking because I'm too insecure in my own, in my own skin. I'm too scared. Like what I, this is all stuff that I know now that I didn't know then.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And so my, my personal training was like, I was helping these guys get in, good physical shape nutrition and all that. But like, I was like, there's, there's gotta be more like, this is great, but like, I, I need to, like I want the impact to be bigger. So I, I started talking to these guys that were 30, 60, 90 days sober, just out of rehab. Like, Hey, let me coach you through the first 30, 60, 90 days of your, of your new life so that you have this, like I can help you walk through this relation, new relationship with your wife or this, or going on dates sober or like doing all the things you love to do that you used to drink with skiing, golf, whatever it is. Like, let's let's let me teach you how to do those sober so that you don't get caught off guard and fall back into anything. So um, that evolved into like all these guys like that I was working with. And I say all like it's it's most um, had either like depression or anxiety was a big thing for them. Like the anxiety of it was just too much. So, and, you know, anxiety, I'm going to shut the voices off. I'm going to drink. And so I I kind of like I saw that I was helping these guys, you know, in the like help with their recovery, but like, again, I was like, there's, there's, there's more guys out there that aren't in recovery yet, or that, that might end up as an alcoholic or at suicide that are, that if I can catch them sooner, like before that depression, anxiety gets to the point where they're drinking about it, you know, I can have a bigger impact. So I expanded to like mental health coaching. And then from there, it expanded into what I do now is that, um, what I do now is I, my mission statement is, is that I, I make the world a safer place for the feminine by healing the masculine. So I work with these guys to heal their masculine wounds, their, you know, their, their, like, to heal the, the stuff that makes them act out of fear or anger or insecurity, so that the world can be a safer place for the feminine. And, that, and that's like the feminine energy within them and the feminine that they live with, the, the, the wife, the kids, the daughters, the, the sisters, whatever it may be. Um, so it's, it's gotten it's, that's how it's evolved. So uh, back to the moving around. Um, what catalyzed me into this, uh, this level of what I do now is that in 2019, I, had a, I went through a massive heartbreak, the worst heartbreak of my life. And it wasn't the first time I had experienced this heartbreak, but it was the first time that it got me to the point like, oh God, here we are again. Like, yeah. why am I here again? Like, why is this happening to me again? And I had a buddy of mine. Go ahead.
0: I was going to say, why do you say this heartbreak?
1: (laughs) Because it was a familiar, it was, you know, it's like, like, uh, I think it's uh, Pema Shodron. says, like, life will keep giving the same lessons until you Uh, learn the lesson. But, and each time that lesson will get worse. So this was like probably my fourth time going through this similar, like template of a heartbreak. But this was the worst one by far. Like I was floored, like crushed. And so I, I went to a, I was at a, you know, we, we met through Sacred Sons. I was at a, another men's group, a men's retreat. And I, I was, I had just, this heartbreak had just happened. And I was like sharing about how, like, I don't really want to be here. Like, I'd rather be cooped up in my bedroom in the dark, you know, eating pizza, watching TV. Like, I don't want to be here. I came to this men's retreat because my higher self knew that I had to come and share about this. And one of the leaders, one of the facilitators was just like, okay, so you're saying this this keeps happening to you. Like, you always end up in this place. Like, how about stop asking yourself why you always end up here and, and start asking yourself, why do you allow yourself to end up here? And I was like, whoa, like, kick in the gut. Like, yeah. you know, like, all, all, I, all I wanted was sympathy. And this guy gave me like a life changing question. And yeah. so, but it, that's what it was. It was like, I, I really got into like my stories around, like, why do I always end up here? Why do I, why do, why is this always happen to me? Why is this I'm always happening? Do you want to share? Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, so the thing about it is, is that I, going back to childhood and childhood growing up, I was a very, very sick child um, and physically sick um, and which led to mental illness too. But it was asthma and allergies were like two massive forces in my life growing up to the point where um, I was in the hospital. If it, you know, I, eat a, I sometimes would eat mm-hmm. a peanut by accident or, or some, some sort of food that I was allergic to and end up in the hospital because the throat's closing up. Or I would have a severe asthma attack and end up in the hospital for a week at a time in the spring. Um, There was one time I was playing Little League baseball. I was on third base. I hit a triple. And and they had just cut the grass in the field that day, and I blacked out on third base. And and the next thing I know, I woke up in a tent in the hospital because it was like that's how severe the asthma attacks were. Wow. And so this did – for one, this created in me a massive, massive distrust in my body. Um, like I learned that I can't trust my lungs. I can't trust my breath. Like I don't, I can't trust what I eat. Like I, sure. I just, and it wasn't like I decided, like as a kid, I didn't have that language, but like, but on like a spiritual energetic level, that was the program that I got. It was like, you, I can't, I can't trust this vessel that I'm in because it, it, it will betray me, whether that's breathing or eating or whatever it is. And so translate that to an adult. And the second thing is that um, I I basically had to rely on my parents, my friends' parents, doctors to save me a lot. Like and, and they did. They all had to save my life. Uh, another thing yeah. that from a child was that I I had a tendency to choke on my food a lot. Mm. So I would have the, I had the Heimlich maneuver done on me a lot. So I basically all this like I was always putting myself. And, we, and like there's past life stuff about breath and about choking and about like throw shocker here that we can get into sure. if you want to but like i had this this thing about like i was always getting saved so i learned that in order to be in order to be survive i need external saving like i need people to save me um and what else i learned was that if i want attention which I is love for me attention. I need to create chaos in my life. I need to create a reason to, uh, for people to saving, saving to me was a form of love. It was like, like you save me. That's my love language. That's the love language I learned. And so with these relationships, like I would on a subconscious level create this contract with the girls that I was dating where like, I love you, you love me. And that was real. Like I did love them and they loved me. But underneath that, was like, now you, girl that I'm dating, are responsible for saving me no matter what. Like, I am your responsibility to save now. And that is just an extremely unsustainable energy to maintain. Yeah. And so like, when it came to, when push came to shove and like, whether like I've lost a couple of ships through my addiction, I've lost a couple of relationships just because they fell apart and whatever else. But like, it was because I felt abandoned and unsaved. And so I would always like, and, and to put that on somebody else, to put that responsibility on somebody else is an impossible ask. Like you just can't, it's just not, it's not there. And so eventually these things would fall apart because I didn't get saved and the girl didn't save me and left, abandoned me. So me not getting saved is honestly a fate worse than death. Like if you're not, if I feel unsafe or abandoned, for me, that means like that's, that's withholding, that's taking love away. And I've had multiple girls tell me like, listen, I love you, but I can't be part of this behavior the, through, basically through addiction. Like I can't be part of you just ruining yourself and, you know, and by proxy ruining me. Like it's, yeah. I, it's it, I love myself, I have to choose myself here. And for me, that means like, that's, that's basically a feeling of death. And so this is, and now, so what I, what else I brought to the table in, the, in, the, in these relationships was an immense level of shame because of shame of who i was as a kid shame of feeling like a burden to my friends and my family a shame of like being rejected by girls shame like all this shame like that i had just like internalized like in my core was now like i was asking these girls to heal my shame yeah and again that's a it's an impossible ask like you just it's not something that another person can ever do for you right and so all these things all these these things that i was bringing to the relationship these these like you know, discombobulated energies were basically the, the thing was the relationships were doomed to fail before they even started. But for me, when the relationship ended, the reason it affected me so deeply on that heartbreak level was because, like, now I was, I was, I was one, I was left alone in the world, nobody saved me. Two, um, I'm left with my own shame. So now I have to, like, deal with the shame of losing a relationship, of being rejected. And three, Um, you've abandoned them and so all this stuff basically this accumulation of stuff would would just create this like terrible ending and each time would get worse and i would feel more abandoned because i never like i would find another girl in a year or two and like that wound would be like you know the band-aid on the bullet hole and so it would be fine and then each time you open up the bullet hole it's bleeding more and so i would just be caught in these situations of like depression anxiety heartbreak and so this last time this question got asked to me so i had to get to the bottom all those things i told you about the needing to be saved was a big one was this and that's around the shame like and just and the just like i can't trust myself so like i to save myself so like someone else has to come in and save me so these stories these sabotages these like saboteurs um there's a great one of the best books i ever read during this time was stop doing that shit by uh, gary john bishop um, it's all about self-sabotage. And so like getting to the bottom of these stories was like the catalyst that I needed. So this heartbreak that was so terrible was the greatest catalyst of my life. It, it, cataly- it catalyzed me for one, it got me to look beyond a- I was in AA for six years and it got me to get to the point where I'm like, I need, there's, there's answers beyond AA for me. So I, yeah. I, 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 well, I left AA because it was, it just, it became a cycle for me, but it really, it got me on this, on this adventure this exploration of what do i not know because like these pa- like patterns keep coming around it's like okay so i i'm dealing with this again so I'm, let me just look at i've looked at all the things that i know like all these things that i'm painfully aware of at this point but like i've done this before and it didn't work so there's got to be something else that i don't know that is there that is the answer to this problem And that was one getting into those stories. It was diving into psychedelic medicines. It was going, doing trauma work. It was doing like somatic release, like all this stuff that I had never done before. That heartbreak was like the most painful experience I've had. And it catalyzed me into this period, this immense period. It's been almost three years now of just like exponential growth. And so along that, like once the dust settled from that, that, and back to the, uh, we can go back to any of that if you want, or what, what happened was is when, I, when the dust settled from that heartbreak and I had started to like settle into like who I really was is that I was like, I don't, I don't really like the Bay Area anymore. Like there's, there's just things about, like I was there for the girl. And so I, I had this immense like clarity about like, where do I want to be? You know, and so Austin was calling my name. You know, I, there's like many things about Austin that I love, the country music, the college football, the tacos, the, the Latin culture that's kind of influenced because so close to Mexico,
0: like all
1: these things I loved about it. I'm glad you're
0: telling me about that because there's so many people that are moving to Austin or like, I just hear people are like, yeah, I just moved to Austin or I'm going to be in Austin. I have yeah. never understood why the <laughs> hell Austin, Texas. I've never understood. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'll, I'm I'll happy give you... you're telling me a little bit more about it.
1: Yeah. And I'll give you, this is the analogy that I have for Austin, Texas for me. So I mentioned all those things, country music, college football, barbecue tacos, Latin culture, Hot weather, like these are all like very attractive things to me externally, right? So Austin, Texas to me was like a hot girl across the bar. Like I'm sitting in the bar Mm -hmm. having fun, and like I see this hot girl, I'm like, that girl's really attractive. I'm gonna go talk to her. And so then I go talk and like we start talking, and she's like, oh, she drops some spirituality on me, she drops some like consciousness on me, she drops some like, yeah, I do the work on me. I'm like, holy crap, like you have substance too. This is yeah. amazing. So Austin started off as a hot girl across the bar, but I, I came here and basically started talking and the substance here is unreal. Like the cool. substance this city has and the consciousness and the people that are here
0: are just, it's all just really next level. Hmm. I'm very cu- I'm curious about the energetics of Austin. Like mm-hmm. what is like within the earth and the earth's energetic system, what yeah. where where is austin in that because like yeah. when i talked about the people that i've seen move there it's like the spiritual community people yeah like the person that comes to mind first is like jp sears like yeah. i remember a few years ago when he was talking about it, or maybe a year ago whenever that was um, yeah. and then i swear i've i'm i'm off of all social media but like i'll be on i'll watch youtube videos and stuff and there's people all the time in the spiritual community that are talking about being in austin and i'm yeah. like what in the world is going on in austin texas
1: yeah, I mean, you got Aubrey Marcus here, and Joe Rogan's kind of along the same lines. J.P. Yep, yep. A- Aubert O'Bear from Sacred Sons, like he he lives here, um, so it's it's like this. And the thing about these pe- this people, it's almost like I, part of me, like my like my my you know limited human brain wants to fall into like, oh, it's just hype, but no, like the hype is absolutely real. Um, mm-hmm. The people here are so like it, it, Austin is like the ultimate in permission like you get permission to just show up as you and like whatever that means whether that's spiritually whether that's you know as like cowboy like like i there's so much permission here to allow people to be them with like and then there's like the the whole spiritual community and the whole biohacking community and like all this this culmination of consciousness with like you know psychedelics and plant medicine and men's work and women's work like there's you know there's sacred sons which is kind of based here. And then there's like uh, Aubrey Marcus's Fit for Service, which is kind of based here. And th- I mean, there, obviously there's people from all over that are parts of that, those communities, but like, you know, the offshoots of that, there's there's like Sacred Women, Sacred Sisters is is a big part of that is here. Sure. And and um, there's just so much like uh, just availability here. There's so much available here to people that, that want it, that are ready for it. And as far as like the... the 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 earth like tapping into the earth like you know they talk about sedona arizona as far as like the vortexes there and tulum is one of them tulum has the vortexes and uh i think mount shasta in california and and maui or Kauai and hawaii is one of them too It's, it's all the ley lines right the ley lines are all crossing at these places and so one of the things the thing about austin here is like there's water the barton creek barton springs the water underneath austin has been basically blessed by native americans like it's got the oh, right. the oh, whole amazing. kind of spirit the native american culture has like grounded into this place and it, and it and the water underneath austin barton creek barton springs just has the immense energetic field around it that resonates throughout this
0: entire city that's beautiful i yeah. the word jealous comes to mind but more <laughs> so uh there's a word that they used at convergence that was basically not, it was like the opposite of jealousy. It was like, I, gosh, I can't remember what it is, but basically it's like, I'm so happy for you that you have that because here Thank in you. Wisconsin Rapids, like, there's no spiritual community. There's yeah. no psychedelic community. There's, there's nothing. And like you talk about being able to just show up as you are. Um, mm-hmm. So I look like this now. I used to have a big beard and a man bun for about a decade. And coming to small town and like, like, like shave sides of the head, like one of my buddies in Wisconsin or in Eau Claire is a barber. And so like at the fade, the hard line, I mean, he just did everything. (laughs) And I show up at like Walmart here in town to like get some groceries for dinner at the in-laws. And I get people just like looking at me. They're like, you look different than all of us because there's just a certain look to Wisconsin people and Midwest people in general. It's just very, this is how we are yeah (laughs) i don't know how to to really put it i have a lot of friends from wisconsin yeah okay yeah it's just beautiful to hear you talk about just the the level of acceptance um it makes me want to it makes me want to visit it makes me want to go there Um, yeah i've never felt like i was going to stay in the midwest although i'm feeling a little more like i'm going to be here for a while with a one year old and letting her grow up around grandma and grandpa yeah Um, that's something that i didn't have as a kid so i'm like i want to be able to give that to her so yeah we'll see what happens but I'm yeah i mean what you're saying it, about austin
1: it's available so when you think about austin think about like matthew mcconaughey like okay. that's the spirit of austin like that i don't know if you've read his book uh, green lights
0: i haven't i like him as a person though and to be honest yeah. I, just, I really don't read very often so, so that's I, why. <laughs> the,
1: yeah if well if you listen like you listen to podcasts listen, listen to the audiobook of green lights because he actually reads it he tells the story To hear it in his voice. I read that book about a little over a year ago and that book hearing like he's the, the Matthew McConaughey, like the, you know, the guy we all know he is, that's who he is. Like, it's not an act. And he's been like that his entire life. Like ever since he was a little kid and like hearing the way that he operates his life, it, it gave, it gave me a level of permission to be like, just show up as you are. Yeah. And like, magical things like the the magic of his life when he t- tells the stories about the things that happened to him or things he's done incredible yeah. it's just amazing and so like that's the spirit of austin and there's a great willie nelson quote quote and it, it's kind of it's plastered all over town and said uh i'm gonna I'm, i might not nail it but anyway it's the idea is like the closer you get to austin the, f- the the more free you feel to become who you are
0: mm.
1: and it's Hundred percent true. I mean, and like it's kind of like Matthew Ghana, and Willie Nelson come together and had a baby. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. It's it's cool to hear you talk about him like that, and and how he lives his life the way that you made it sound is like off his intuition. Hundred percent. Because my wife and I were talking about that this morning. Actually, um, we have really started to listen to our messages and mm-hmm. like not argue with them even the, like the really, really big ones. Um, and like, it's scary at first. Like it's terrifying to get a message, to do something that you're like, but wait, I haven't thought any of that through. I have no idea how to do that. Like, are you sure? Um, but it's just become easier and easier the more that we've practiced it. And, what you said about it, uh the magic of his life. I think you said something like that, or that's yeah. that's what I heard. That's yeah. <laughs> literally what life feels like for me is Amazing. is just going off of my intuition. It just it's easier or simpler. It's simpler. Yeah. I won't say it's easier, it's definitely not easier because listening to those messages mm-hmm. is sometimes very difficult to do, uh, for me at least, but uh it's it's simpler. And that's been something that I've started to cherish a lot over the last year year and a half I've started to really get clear on I love a simple life I love being dad and having beautiful Mm -hmm. conversations like this Mm -hmm. and just being able to just spend time with my family yeah like that's it yeah that's it like (laughs) and and I I love cooking and being able to like cook like meals for friends and family um like that's That's my test of how I know I really like somebody is if I want to have them over for dinner. Because I don't always want to share a meal with somebody. You know what I mean? Like I want to find my tribe of people and the way that I know that is I want to have, I want to share a meal with them. I want to share a meal.
1: Yeah, Uh, there's a a commitment in a meal.
0: Yeah, There is, you're there there for a while.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and, and the meals are so, I've done some thinking on this. And meals are such a valuable, it's such a valuable gauge that you have with that. Because, wow. like, there's intimacy and vulnerability in eating in front of somebody. Completely. Like, you know, like, the, like for a while, like, I would prefer to eat alone. And it's because, like, I had this insecurity about how I ate so fast. And I can't, it came to the point where, like, when you, when you can, like, eat with somebody, and for one, it slows you down. And slow down, have the conversation, and eat. But, like, yep. there's, like, and also going back to, like, our, like, caveman warrior days, like when we eat like the, the reason they like they have like the the warrior fast where you basically you fast uh sun up to sundown or uh yeah sun up to sundown because when you eat your body rests and digests like you become right. vulnerable because you're 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 basically in a weakened state when you're thinking about food and your body has to digest like fight or flight we shut off digestion because we need those that energy and that blood flow to the muscles to the the brain whatever else so mm-hmm you know, to, to be that, that level of intimacy that comes with like sitting down and eating with someone, you know, back to the reptilian brain, like you're, you're, you're letting your guard down.
0: Yeah. And to dr- dr- it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful yeah. gauge. Well, and I'm happy that we're on this food thing, this food <laughs> train of thought, because you've mentioned it a couple of times and you were talking about patterns and like the patterns of your life. And I love patterns. I was a Forex trader for a little while. And so I just studied bar charts and found the patterns. And so then I've just basically trained my brain to look for patterns. And you said something twice. You talked about how as a kid, you, you you had a tendency to choke on food. And now you just talked about how quickly you eat. So tying that into the emotional side of things and how, yeah, sharing a meal, it's a vulnerable place. Do you feel like you ate quickly to like rush through to like, do you, do you see how that plays out in other areas of your life? Like, do you see like a rushing to get past something or get through something or like move past the vulnerable stage and then on to where, okay, I got my guard up again. Um, Cause that's like kind of what's hitting me. And I just want to know if that's, if that, if that has any truth behind it for you, because um, that's, that's something that you've said twice and it stuck out to me. And i'm just curious yeah absolutely um whew, all right um yeah take, let's take a, deep a breath. A, yeah we just talked a lot let's, let's, take take a, <laughs> a, let's take a deep breath for ourselves and just kind of settle back in yeah
1: that's a great question yes um another another kind of uh way that that shows up in my life and it's a much simpler way but it's like on the radio when you hear a song like you know i'm over this song what's the next one like before it's even done like never taking the time to fully experience the situation totally. and so this now as a pattern goes in my life this this looks this used to look like unfinished business starting a puzzle and not finishing it starting a project and not finishing it you know trying to launch a podcast and getting halfway there um you know like th- these things used to show up in my life as like everything like going through a coaching program and like bailing on the last like two weeks mm-hmm. and this goes to um yeah like th- that level of vulnerability was really scary to me you know and it's like and that it, it goes back to that trust thing so trust you know I, I couldn't trust my own body and therefore but i but really and all that the, the kicker behind all that saving stuff i talked about and all that like Basically, it sounds like I put all my trust into somebody else. The underlying reason that it that it failed all the time, I actually didn't trust that person to save me. So I was living in this constant cycle of not being able to trust myself, but not not trusting anybody else to save me. So the only place that I would feel safe in the world was a hospital. And this this like to this day, I can tell you, I love being in hospitals. And like people would be like, yeah, people like, what the hell (laughs) is wrong with you? I'm like, listen, let me tell you, like it was the only place in my whole life that was safe for the first 15
0: years of my life. Oh, it makes complete sense. It's just, I I have not heard someone be like, I effing love hospitals. Like, I don't hate them, but I don't, I can't say that I love them. I'm kind of a neutral on them.
1: Like there was a long time, and and I'm going to get back, I'm going to go back to this unfinished vulnerability thing, but there was a time in my life, a long period of my life where, like even like through all my drinking and drugs where like, I would end up a a five day bender. I would create a reason to go to the hospital, to the ER. And like, and what that looked like to the extreme is that like, I knew exactly how many, like beans were an allergy of mine. So legumes, I knew, but it's not a severe, it's not an anaphylactic level allergy like peanut is. So I knew that if I ate a certain amount, like a tablespoon or two tablespoons of beans, I would have enough of an allergic reaction that they would have to admit me to the hospital but I wasn't like life threatened so I would like purposely eat a couple beans, a, a, like a cup of beans, in order to go to the hospital because it was safe for me to like, because I felt so out of control in the in the the alcoholic bender that I was on that I would like look for a reason to go to the hospital, and then even if I did get uncomfortable like in life, like one of my like if I'm in a like like the dark night of the soul stretch or something like that like in the back of my head, I'm thinking, how can I go to the hospital for three days to get relief from this? Like, that's my, for- that's my relief because as a kid, like that's the program that was installed in me. It was like, when you were super unsafe, the hospital is where you're going to go. So back to this, um, this eating fast thing. So yeah. eating fast, um, it's, it's like that state of being vulnerable in eating is a, a state that like, all my radars all my like antenna go up if i'm if i'm any more vulnerable also too like with the eating like there was an element to me that i've come across that um for some reason i made up in my head that the faster i eat the less danger because eating was actually dangerous for me because like i could possibly eat a peanut or i could by mistake eat a walnut which has happened and so the less time i spend in that danger zone the better off i'm going to be so eating fast, um, it looks like checking out of relationships early. When I, when I, feel, when I feel danger approaching in a relationship, you know, I'll, I would cheat. I would sabotage. I would basically just like check. I wouldn't leave, but I would check out, just become completely like unresponsive. And, and the girl that I was with, would, that would show up to her as rejection. So that would cause problems. Um, it, in jobs, it would look like if I'm not interested or if I'm feeling like I might get fired, Oh, I'm just going to go ahead and quit because like, I don't want to, I'm not going to, I'm going to remove, I'm going to keep the vulnerability to such a minimum. And of course, like as we, as you and I both know, like going to a sacred sons event and like getting the most vulnerable you've ever gotten in your life, being seen at your snotting all over yourself, crying best.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's That was like me the majority of the three days
1: hundred percent like just tears and snot and like massive. I could, I have a real, I have a great story about um, that, that convergence that we were at, but like that level of vulnerability, I think because I avoided it for so long, you know, I didn't let myself experience any sort of healing. It was like, you know, they, in the untethered soul, um, Michael Singer talks about samskaras, which are stuck energies. If you never let yourself get vulnerable, energies will always get stuck right in your heart yeah right in your chest in your gut and your like somewhere in your chakra system if yeah. you never get vulnerable and let that shit f- flow you're going to have stuck energies. so i was dealing with all these stuck energies of save shame uh guilt burden like all these things and so um if, if you don't mind i'd love to tell the story about how important the convergence was please. on this level on this yeah, level please so um i was like i i was actually at a workout here in austin like the thursday before conversions and like the week before and aubert was there and so i was talking to aubert and he was like yeah why aren't you going and i'm like oh yeah i'm making up these stories about why i can't go and he's like well he's like i highly recommend you should show up and he's like let's make it happen so like within three days i was like all right i'm going so last minute addition to this conversions Yep. and uh so I, we we get there on Thursday, whatever it was, and it's pouring down rain in Oregon, and it's like wet and gross and cold, and I'm like, this is not my thing. Like I'm, this this is terrible. And I was kind of like feeling the land a lot, like feeling like this this energy around it of like oh, and I and I knew. So I, I, I in June I went to do ayahuasca in Peru for three weeks, and like going into that event, like I was like this in my body. Even right now I feel it like <clears throat> like this feels like a very very important thing I'm about to go do. Yeah, And that was the same feeling I had going into Convergence was like, this is something that my nervous system has needed, craved for a very long time. Like, I'm even like kind of tearing up right now. Like, it was like, this feels like a very, very important thing that I'm about to go do. And so I, as we're pulling up to the, to, uh, Camp Merryweather, yep. like it's a, Boy, Scout, a Cat, Boy Scouts of America camp. And so I'm like, I read that sign and I'm like, Oh shit so I go in and we like get settled in and we take our bags up to the campsites and like this was like this is all this is all pulling up a deep rooted trauma for me around a boy scout camp that I went to when I was like 11 up in upstate New York I went to this boy scout camp it was the exact same layout as camp Meriwether you know oh, wow. like 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 the lodge the the little wooden huts that we were camping in the showers were separate like trucking around the woods like there was like water there it wasn't on the coast but it was like there was a big lake there sure. and so I like I knew this was a terrible experience for me as a kid because I remember hating every second of it but I didn't understand the level of trauma that my body was holding on to because of this so I walked so I'm like putting my campsite getting my thing all set up and I'm like this is like I my little boy that was at that boy so that boy scout camp when I was 11. I got there and I was like, yeah, told my parents. I was like, sign me up. I'm ready for this. Like, let's do this. And I get there and immediately I shut down. Like I didn't change my clothes for a week. I didn't shower for a week. I didn't brush my teeth for a week. I barely ate because I was, I was in fight or flight the entire time because I was so uncomfortable, scared of like, it was like the first time, like I'm going to eat a peanut. I'm going to have an asthma attack, like all these thoughts in my head, like I don't feel safe here. So yeah. I just like shut down and I was in the, the, the nurse's office at the camp for like most of the days, like not participating in the activities. And so uh, my dad comes on the Thursday night or the Friday night. Cause it's like the dads come and sleep over and it's like a big thing. And my dad got there and I was like, we're out. Like we are leaving. He's like, no, 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 we're staying tonight. I brought, I brought air mattresses and everything. I'm like, ah, eh, we're out. Yeah. And so like, I just basically was like, as soon as I was done, left that camp. I was like, good, we're done with that. Like never going to revisit that one again. And I going into this, like can't, mer- can't marry with conversions. Like I'm, I'm, I'm that little 11 year old boy. back that boy Yeah. Of that yeah I yeah. was like, I was like, shit, I'm not going to shower for a week. Like I was like, I wanted to stay in my little hut for the whole time. Like it was raining and cold. And I was like, and I shared with my group. I was like, I do not want to be here. And here's why and it was like that level like doing the work enough work that i've done now i know that like if something's coming up like first of all i knew i was here like i'm here to dump some shit yeah.
0: like
1: let's let's start dumping right now and i shared and uh like the next morning I woke up and it was still so cold but it was sunny and it was nice and i was like all right i can like i recognized what was happening and i was able to like surrender to it and uh And just like surrender to like, okay, this is like really hard for me. My body right now, so I feel uncomfortable, and I'm wet and cold, and I'm not gonna want to shower and change my clothes, and like, I'm I like fear of being naked in front of a bunch of dudes in the shower, and like all these things were coming up for me. Sure. I was, but I, but like this level of like vulnerability and like dropping in and not checking out earlier, not checking
0: out at all, was like the the most massive lesson for me. That's huge. That's incredible. Like, yeah, Convergence was huge for me. And yeah, that first day was brutal. I was wet, cold. I was walking back from the tea ceremony and I was like, just not about it. I was so, I was like, I was upset because I have have this joke when I, whenever someone brings up camping or something like that, I'm like, yeah, camping for me is a three-star hotel. That's camping. And like, not actually, but like I camped one time when I was younger with, I was a gymnast. And so I went with some of my friends from my team and went camping. It rained that night. We were only going for one night to this campsite. And like my buddy and his family, they all camped, they camped all the time. It was my first time ever going. It rained that night, our tent flooded, and I woke up with a soaking wet sleeping bag. And I was like, this is the last. I ever do this this was terrible and I and you talking about your childhood stuff with Camp Merryweather yeah. actually helps bring clarity because what was the most stressful part about the entire trip was where I was going to sleep because I knew for sure I wasn't sleeping outside so I'm like and I didn't pay for one of the upgraded things and so yeah. it was late and I'm like how do I do this? How do I get (laughs) in one of these places Mm -hmm. to be warm while I sleep? Yeah. And um, a few guys were in, like a couple of my friends that I've been in councils with a lot um, were in a place and they said that there was one extra bunk. And so they're like, cool. I'm like, great. I'll talk to whoever in the morning. We'll get all sorted out. Cool. I go there. I get all set up. I just lay down. And one of the brothers comes back and he's just like, oh shit, that's my bunk. Uh And I was like, no, I thought there was an extra. And we're like looking around, trying to see. And this brother's Canadian and the stereotype of Canadians apologize for anything and everything is spot on. And he's like, wanted to be, he was so nice Uh, because I was like, brother, like, I'm sleeping on the floor. This is your bed. You paid for this. I'm yeah. clearly in the wrong. He's like, no, no, no. Like you stay there. I'll be on the floor. Like you stay up there. And I'm like, no, I, I can't do that on a good conscience because yeah. you paid to be here. I'm just, I was just hoping there was an empty bunk. Huh? And long story short, he ends up sleeping on the floor still after I was fully out of the bed, helping set up the pad for him to sleep on. And I'm like, look, I'm already out of it. You hop up there thinking that was gonna get him. Cause I'm like, look, I'm already out, no big deal. No, insisted and felt terrible the next day for the mix up. And it, that situation, I I had a lot of shame around that. Cause I didn't sleep much that night. Cause I was laying there just feeling so guilty that I was up in this little cot thing on this bunk and he was on the floor knowing he's not sleeping well. And so yeah. I'm not sleeping well because I'm like, God dang it. <laughs> um, but all of it was surrounding sleep. And now I'm remembering this one camping experience and that was the worst part was the sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very interesting because I was so stressed about this for the first like day and a half until it all got, got sorted out. And then I was finally able to settle into convergence. But like at yeah. first I was like, I was on edge. I'm just like, God, I don't know sleep. This is awful. I'm not even sure if I want to be here now. Um, yeah, it was just a whole experience. And so it's, it's just kind of fun to hear another person's story because I didn't even see you. I I mean, I I probably saw you, but again, 333 men or more with facilitators um yeah i didn't see you and so to hear someone go through kind of a similar ish experience is totally um, similar yeah it makes me feel a little bit better knowing that i'm not alone there are other men there that are like man i want to be here but i don't want to be
1: here yeah i think that first day there was a lot of people i i a couple of the guys in my group came to me like yeah dude that first day was like i didn't want to be here either there's a jim jim gaffigan does a great piece about you know jim gaffigan the comedian i do yeah yeah he does a great thing about camping he's like he, he's like yeah someone came to me and asked me like do you, do you love the camp he's like no And he's like oh we love the camp and jim gafkin's like yeah everybody loved the camp at one point and then we built houses
0: <laughs> <laughs> i feel that i love yeah. i'm such a homebody, anyways yeah um that I, I yeah i resonate with that a lot that's funny
1: Yeah, I mean, but I do do love camping. Like being out in nature is always cool. Like, I mean, the stars out in Oregon, like when you can get out and see stars like that, like we don't get to like, I don't know, maybe where you live, but like the places that I've lived, like growing up in Vermont, the stars were amazing. But like all the other places have been cities. And like, I don't get to see stars like that very often. When I do, it's like,
0: I'm just in awe. Yeah. So my parents grew up, I grew up in the country a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. they lived in the middle of the woods essentially yeah. um so we did get stars there but not to the point when we were in oregon and i could see the milky way that's but crazy I, I love i love the stars i love space yeah. like ets they're real like they're other real. beings are real and i'm so fascinated and i can't wait till we meet them honestly i, I call it within the decade we'll meet them um yes i think I'm- I'm feeling that. pretty certain about that one. It's, um, close. it's definitely close. It's close. Um, so I've always been so fascinated. So yeah, when we were there, that was a, that was a really cool experience. Cause that, I actually didn't even look at the stars until the cacao ceremony, the first night. Yeah. Um, and that was my first time ever sitting in a cacao ceremony, which was like mind boggling to the, to the other brothers <laughs> that I was saying it to, because like, that's such a normal thing within the spiritual community. But yeah. like, I've never really been in a place that that, that I've had a big spiritual community. Mm. Um, and so yeah, so that was actually quite special for me and kind of significant of like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to be here. This awesome, is brother. This is it. Yeah. So um, That's amazing well, when you get when you get shots like that
1: of like just like when it just like you, I mean we're always where we are where we're supposed to be, but like when you can just drop in and just experience that and surrender to that and receive that receiving is such a big part of life like we are so i i i'm working on it but like i think as human beings and as men especially like we're terrible at receiving experiences like we always like this is the thing about eating so fast like i just want to get to what's next like and it's it's, it's not receiving that moment like when you're able to drop in and know in that cacao ceremony looking at the stars later like ah oh, like i'm receiving this experience 100 right now like there's nowhere else in this world i could or should be that's a beautiful
0: thing yeah well it's that to be honest that's kind of my gauge of how i if i'm present or not Mm. um so i didn't know if i was going to talk about it in this episode i'm going to talk briefly on it because i'm going to have a solo episode probably next week where i'm going to talk about this um but anyways over the last like month i've had a hard time being present Mm. like a really difficult time um i equate it to like I was standing up but like leaning forward I was always Mm -hmm. just like on edge ready for the next thing like almost about to fall over ready to take that next step and just jump into the next thing and I was never here and it started to get really frustrating to be honest like it was very frustrating because I did the things that I normally knew to do that helped bring me into the present moment but there's just a certain level um I guess a certain level of of like peace or like just being that I feel that it's hard to even put words to, um, which is how I know it's like really potent when I can't even put words to it. Uh, But there's just this certain feeling that I get when I know that I'm super present. Um, And it was very difficult for me to feel that for a while. Um, And then it was this last Tuesday, um, my wife and I went in for our 12 week appointment um because we were uh we were pregnant um i say were we kind of still are but we found out that we um had had a miscarriage um what's what's called a blighted ovum um yeah on tuesday i didn't even I, i didn't know this was a thing until tuesday so a blighted ovum for if you don't know or anyone who's listening who doesn't know it's essentially like an egg became fertilized so like she got pregnant but then it never developed into a fetus and so it just kind of got reabsorbed back into her body and so when we went and looked at went into for the uh ultrasound there was just a big empty space where there should have been a baby and that snapped me right back into the present moment and it has taught me so many lessons already that was a week ago wow time flies i I haven't had a clue what day it was for this last week um but it taught me so many things i'm going to talk about two of them because i want to talk about it more later um one is it showed me how much i really appreciate my daughter and and my wife and just my family that i have Um, because our first pregnancy was perfect nothing wrong completely natural birth um granted it took 25 hours um (laughs) no pain meds no nothing more power to feminine oh my god they are so strong megan she's a warrior um yeah and so yeah it's just brought so much appreciation and so it's helped me be that much more present when i've been here um and like like i mentioned at the beginning of this like lila her sleep at the very beginning was just difficult um, and that's been like a part point for me. That's been kind of a growth edge. Um, as far as like patience. <laughs> and uh, because man, there there were nights where I'm just like, kid, you better go to sleep. So help me God, <laughs> just close your eyes, especially the nights where she's just like staring at me, awake. And I'm like, what are we even doing? Why are we here? Um but yeah, that's one of the things that I've been able to have more patience with and be more present with her while i'm helping her get to sleep or while i'm just playing with her or being with her um so yeah presence is huge man presence is like uh, god that's everything to me um because if i'm trying to if i'm thinking about what's happening next i'm not present
1: what do you think it was that was pulling you out of the presence leading up to that
0: that's a good question i think part of it was yeah. i when i stall not stall but when i'm not moving as quickly as i set the expectation for myself with something aka this podcast um i i start to like kind of like poo-poo on myself Be like man you're not doing enough you're not working hard enough and so i my mind was always trying to figure out okay what am i gonna do um what's the next thing to do for the podcast to do something um, and I think that that stems from deeper down, I'm letting go of being the provider and being the nurturer because it has been so embedded in me that I need to be the provider. I, I as a man, that's just a very like standard thing, um, yeah. that we've been taught, but like my, that's like, that's what my dad values. And I've sought his approval for most of my life. I still do less, but I still do. Um, and that's what he values. He values job title promotions. Like he even jokingly talked about my sister being number one child because we have a running joke in the family because my brother's just, my brother's the greatest person that I know. And so like we, my sister and I have had this running joke that John, my brother is the favorite. Um, Cause I'm like, he's just a great guy. Like, how is yeah. it? Not? Because uh, I, I was the misfit. I was the one that disobeyed, and like my sister did it her own ways as well. Uh, and my brother just never did. And so anyways, my dad made a joke about Katie being the number one this past Monday because it was gonna she was gonna get a promotion that day. Um, and so like that's the programming that I've had and continue to get when I visit my family. And so it's been challenging for me to let go of that. And trust in the universe that that like god's got my back no matter what um and that the better i am or not the better the more present i am here at home is like the better i, I I'm, I'm at a loss for how to really say it nicely but um but yeah it's I, I value myself more so as a father and a husband than I do as a businessman or whatever XYZ job title I may have. Yeah. And so it's been challenging for me to really lean into that and like have that self acceptance and like that self validation of no, this is important what you're doing. Like the yeah. fact that I'm at home every day with my daughter and she gets to grow up with a dad who's not only physically present, but also emotionally and mentally present too. Um, Cause that was not always the case for me growing up. And so I think that's also why I am very like hyper attuned to when I'm not as present as I know I could be. Um, That's when I'm like, okay, something's got to change. What do we got to do? And part of it is just surrendering to the day and not thinking about tomorrow mm-hmm. and like that's so it's like so so easy to say but it's it's very difficult sometimes i don't know if you can relate to just and i, I hopefully there's other men out there that can relate i feel a little less alone in this but <laughs> uh, but yeah i i do best when i'm just surrendering to the day and when i don't even really know what time it is that's kind yeah. of the greatest is when i'm just present and there and I, next thing you know it, it's five o'clock in the evening. And I'm like, how? It was just 9 a.m. But yeah. to me, that's a really good sign that I was present for, for most of the day.
1: Yeah, the, that 100% resonates with me. And I think that, um, you know, our generation, I'm not sure how old you are, but I mean, I think you graduated pretty-
0: high school in 93, right? Yeah. I was born in 93.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're kind of the same generation. And, and by that, I mean like our fathers were direct descendants of wartime fathers. Yeah. Uh, yes. So whether that's World War II or Vietnam um, that was, so that one generation it took that one generation of our fathers to kind of like filter that, that, that do, do, do be, be like grind, 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 you know, wartime mentality out. And we're the first generation that kind of gets to really shift that paradigm yeah. around like, always doing always being like job title provider like we 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 really get to it's it's kind of like the first generation that is like full internet because like we True. i mean you you grew up somewhat with the internet like early stages of internet i grew up completely without it like i know life like my the internet basically appeared when i was like 22 21 okay. um so yeah. like life before that life after that so like there's these generational shifts that happen. And I think that that, like from one, a lot of the work that I do on like the divine masculine and all this, and we can get into like the, the farce, the farce that is toxic masculinity, you know, it's, it's dangerous masculinity and it's wounded masculinity, but toxic is not the right word for it. The behavior. Yes. But, um, that's like, we're, we're the generation that's responsible for filtering that out. Because like it was, it was ingrained in the, the our grandfathers, and then our fathers basically are direct direct one degree off of that, and then our generation has realized that like that doesn't suit the world anymore. Right. That was that that did suit the world, you know, from the '40s to the '60s or early '70s maybe, but it doesn't apply anymore. It's outdated. So we have, we're responsible for shifting that, and I think that that goes into like that whole shifting out of like the the supposed to or the. I should be doing this. Yeah, quit shutting on yourself. Exactly, 100%, yeah. And I think too, like, as you were talking, I'm like, and and you said something earlier about like, not having the words, like not having the words for something, You said what you said is like, if I don't have the words, I know it's potent. Mm -hmm. And like, that is so, so important for for men to hear, I think, because what it means is like, when you don't have the words, it means that you've basically stumped your limited human brain and it's time for you to drop into your body. Yes. Listen to your body. The, the neck down is where all of our wisdom is. Like mm-hmm. our our brains, like we can think and we can appear intelligent and wise from the words we say. But like, if we want real wisdom, listen to your damn body. Listen, yeah. like, listen to like when you're sick, listen to like when you're coughing, when you need to clear your throat, like when you're tight in your hips, when you're tight in your shoulders, like our body remembers every. Like our brain is so, so good at, forgetting for one it forgets very well it justifies just as well yep. and it remembers stuff too but it, it selectively remembers so like an experience that happened you know like that like the the boy scout camp for me or the camping thing for you like yeah that was easily justified in your head as like maybe not that bad or like you just said like i'm not camping because of this but your body when you got to that when you got to camp Merryweather and you're that sleeping thing you didn't sleep because your body was like fuck no this hurts this is fucking uncomfortable. Your mind was like, come on, I want to sleep. Body's like, "Uh uh, we have a trauma to process because the body remembers everything. And so now going forward, like this, this shift to like be present, being present is a body experience. Like the mind will take you out of the present like that. Like, look, you're cooking with your wife, making dinner. Like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do this this morning. And that's your mind saying like, no, but your body, when you can be in your body and be present with that, that's when like, connection, love, intimacy, better sex, better working out, better like all the things that that we do. If we can stay dropped into our body and shut the mind off more and not worry about the words. And words are clunky
0: at best. Yes, English is clunky. Like there are so many uh, other languages that say things so (laughs) much better than we can in English. And gosh, it makes me want to learn other languages. But other languages are very challenging for me. Like Spanish, yeah. I made my way through Spanish because my best friend in grade school was great at it. And every time we would take a test, he would move desks and be next to me. I don't know <laughs> how I got away with it. And so like, I would jokingly say, we collectively got a B. He got an A, I got a B because right. I didn't copy yeah. as well.
1: But like <laughs> languages
0: are so tough for me, but they say things such a more beautiful and eloquent way than what we older. normally can in English. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yes, yes, 100%
1: there's a great there's a great i know you're not on social media there's a great account called the language nerds and like they post something every day about like in in like in english we say i love you but in you know greek or some ancient language they say this and it means this
0: yeah and it's like oh it's so much more beautiful yeah well it's even so i completely agree so this tattoo here yeah is is ahava it's hebrew it's their Uh word for love but the word but the word ahava also means I give. And Mm. so it's more of the giving of love and um, it's my daughter's middle name now. Uh, But yeah, because that way is so much, it's so much more meaningful because it It takes it from just the emotion that most people associate love with to the act. Um, And like, we don't quite have the time to go into it, but the act of love is so much more important than the feeling, the emotion of it. Because oh. the act of it is is the continuation of the feeling. Like, the feeling is the spark. Like, that's what gets it really going. Yeah, yeah. But it's the act of it, the conscious, the consistent, the, the very aware, the awareness of the love. And, yeah, the verb of it. Like, that's what really helps it keep going. Um, 100%. So, yeah.
1: That's beautiful, man. I, lo- I love that. Um, yeah. It's it's almost like English is a dumbed down way to communicate. Yeah. Sometimes
0: it feels that way. Yeah, sometimes it's, it feels yeah. that way.
1: And it's like, psychi- like like psychedelic experiences. Like when I was doing ayahuasca, like part of the battle is like getting your brain to like stop justifying it all and just yeah. experience it. You know, like because your brain's like, wait, I, I, like this is happening. Like, let me let me make sense of this. Like, you're not you start making trying to make sense of things. You're losing hundred lessons in a second. Yes. So when you can drop into like, no, I'm just experiencing this. And yeah. that's where like, so like the, the being present, surrendering to the present experience, like, no, I'm just, I'm just going to experience this, whatever it is. Yep. It might be uncomfortable. It might be extremely joyous, but I'm going to surrender to this experience. Yes. That's the ultimate level of presence, surrender to the day, like you said. Yeah,
0: Yep. So I want to give people a nugget because it's very present for me <laughs> um, of what helps me become present. And like dropping into the body because especially when you said from the neck down, that made me think of, um, what we will do, like sync ups for councils for sacred sons. When we do the online councils, we'll do a sync up. And typically it's just like a breathing exercise or some sort of breath work that we do. And the one that is my absolute favorite that actually kind of like was very uncomfortable. Just the thought of it at first was holding after the exhale like holding without breath in in the lung or air in the lungs. And it was like, it was almost scary for me, but I felt my heart beating to the point where I could feel my body jolting Mm -hmm. with my heartbeat because I was so just empty. I was emptied of everything and it allowed me to really, really feel. Um, And so... I'm curious what what you have done or what you have learned for yourself that has brought you into the present moment. Cause I think this is, this keeps coming up, this, this topic of presence. <laughs> this has been yeah. almost a, a reoccurring theme in the thread of my podcast so far is just presence. Um, and so I wanna touch on it just as much as we can without annoying people uh, <laughs> because I think it's so present. Cause I know for myself, it's, it's, it can be easy to just go on autopilot and just allow my subconscious to take over and let the day just kind of happen without really even being here. And so to be able to be present, to be in, immersed in life is just such a more beautiful way to live. And I think other people need to hear different ways because different things, like it's like I used, you talked about being a coach or a personal trainer. I used to be a CrossFit coach um different cues work for different athletes i can say one thing one way and i can say the same thing get them to do the same thing but say it in a totally different way and they're like oh i get it now you know and so i think that 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 transposed over here works the exact same way um so long-winded way of asking what do you do to get yourself present
1: yeah well so i think there's two there's two kind of arms of this the two sides of this coin one is um like when you're in that moment and you feel a sharp disconnect, what do you do? Um, a lot of people will like keep a rubber band on their wrist and snap it, mm-hmm. you know, snap like snapping fingers, like moving the body, taking a breath, like some sort of somatic experience to like make you feel your body. And that totally. could look like, like if you're sitting down at work and like you get, and you're staring at the computer typing away and all of a sudden you just drift off, stand up, shake it off, sit back down. Like dogs and children are freaking brilliant at this not just dogs, any kind of animal really, like a lion in the desert, like they do that, the bio shake, or like after a hunt, they'll shake. Or after yeah. like, if a dog sees another dog on the, on the street and they like bark at each other, the, you know, your dog will just like shake it off and like walk on because they're resetting yep. their energies to the present. Kids are the same way. Kids will like throw a tantrum and and they'll be like, and you know this, you have one, like they're they're oh, yeah. moving, all they're doing is moving energy through their body that they don't like. Yeah. Like this, they like, and so they'll th- like humans will throw a tantrum and then hold on to that for like two days. Like have a fight with your wife. You're like, I'm angry. For- yeah. We all are guilty of this because we, it feels so good to be angry, <laughs> you know? And so, but kids are like, no, I'm uncomfortable, <laughs> scream, cry, whatever. And then five minutes later, they're laughing because they moved that energy through the body. Yep. They became present again. Yep. So whatever was trying to pull them out of the present, they became present. So we as adults can, can, uh, Simulate that by some sort of biofeedback, snapping your fingers, clapping, taking a deep breath, taking a few deep breaths, primal screaming. If you're in a place you can do that, stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So anytime that you've like, again, this goes out of your head and into your body, because if you go, you drop out of your head into your body, your body will then tell your head again, like, okay, back here, focus on this eye contact, sometimes call yourself out. If you're in a conversation, be like, I'm sorry, I spaced out for a second. Can you please repeat what you said? Oh, I do that. I tell them like, Hey, yeah,
0: I wasn't here for what you just said. I don't know where I was I'm here now. Can you say that again?
1: Yeah. And, and people like, and we, and I guarantee you, like part of that conversation is like, this guy's going to hate me for dropping out of that conversation. But at the same time, like people, when you come authentically, authentically like that and transparent, people like, Oh my God. Yeah, of course I can. Yeah. And like, we're like, thank you. So that's like the, the, the real time, like in the real time event of getting back present is just, you know, catching it. It's like a catch, you know, catch and release is a great way to process emotions. Catch, catch and change behavior is a great way to like recalibrate. Um, Other times, physical activity, hard physical activity, like CrossFit, like put, (laughs) put 315 pounds on your back. You'll get present pretty quick. (laughs) You know, it's like, what it's like, like mountain climbers and surfers talk about this. Like you, if you're not present, you're going to die. Yeah. Like you're either going to get crushed by a wave or you're going to fall off the mountain. so like they like the gym is a great example of this. Um, anytime that you can put yourself into like um, psychedelic experiences are great. Like anytime you can scare yourself a little bit, you're going to you, you're learning presence because you absolutely yeah. have to focus on whatever that threat is at hand. So if you can do that in safe environments, like a coaching container or a, a, a well-facilitated psychedelic experience or the gym. Somewhere where you're putting yourself in those, it's it's basically you're 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 doing reps and you're uh, you're flexing that muscle, yep. in a safe environment. So that when you do have are conf- you this is this is another thing they talked about sacred sounds was range. You when you do when you put yourself in these situations when they, when they're not real, you're creating a range that you can work with when they are real. So if you don't do this, if you don't create range in your body, in your behaviors, in your responses. So there's a difference between responding and reacting. If you don't create range in your, responsibi- your responsibility, but like your ability to respond.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: You operate on a switch and that's when the, that's toxic. That's the toxic behavior. The dangerous masculinity is the switch. So you don't, you don't have the range to work with, right? So if you can put yourself in situations where you create range in your nervous system, in your response, your ability to respond, that's when you're safe. That's when like, you show up as the, the divine masculine the safe masculine. So the, the human body, I, as a high-level athlete, you may know this too, but like, I used to work with a sports psychologist in, in tennis and the optim, optimal level of exertion or effort for a human, body, a human being is 80%. So like you think about, like we see athletes like running, like Usain Bolt, it's crazy to think about this, but like these guys that do these extreme things like, Kobe Bryant scoring 81 points, or Usain Bolt running a 95800 meter dash. Like that wasn't their hundred percent. That was 80% because they, they train themselves to operate at that max. Cause if they don't, right. if they oper- if they're at hundred percent, if you're in a sporting event and you're at hundred percent, you're not, you're not, you're, you're, you're in the, let me rephrase it. <laughs> the you're on the verge of
0: disaster is what it There's is. There's a lack of control. Yes. Cause, I, Cause I was- you have nowhere to go. Yeah. So when I was a gymnast growing up, we had a saying of hundred percent or nothing, which basically yeah. meant you got to be fully committed to what you're about to do. Otherwise yeah. you will hurt yourself. Like, yeah. t- like doing double backflips on the floor. <laughs> I was so present. There was nowhere else that I wanted to be, but right. in that flip and then landing on my feet, but yeah. I wasn't going hundred percent. I, no. was going, I was going going 80 and I, I can recall the feeling in, in my body of like when I would do tricks and stuff, it was never a hundred because I remember what it was like to try to learn a new trick and get so just mad that I couldn't get it. I was just so frustrated because there was one yeah. trick, uh, a kip on the high bar. Uh, I, it's essentially, I'm going to swing out. I'm going to bring my feet to the bar. I'm going to yeah. hold this V and let the momentum of my body ride my body up so I'm up on top of the bar yeah it was so freaking hard to get it's just such a hard trick for people for kids to learn like initially and I remember there were times where I would try to just go a hundred percent or just like give it a little extra because I was mad I'd peel right off the bar I'd fall on my back because my body wasn't ready for it Uh because I was out of control I was trying I was trying too hard that's been another theme in life of don't try too hard
1: yeah uh, of course well that's another program that we've installed in like 100 give your 100 percent or nothing we, and like you said like that 100 percent, that fully committed yes fully committed absolutely but within that like when you're like the other side of that is that like you don't want to be maxed out because you just got like you said like with that trick like you have nowhere to go
0: right yeah and i think and like the thought that just came to mind is like how does that play out in like the work in the conversations that we have like what does the 80 percent look like in those conversations um like it looks like presence <laughs> yeah exactly and like i was saying like it feel like it's like if convergence was a hundred percent of like mm-hmm. you're fully in it you're bawling for days in a row what does 80 percent look like it's coming right up to that edge having the ability to cry if the situation calls for crying yeah. you know, having the softness to just listen and hold space for somebody who needs to share something, mm-hmm. you know, but if I was just, if I was to the point where I was bawling at any little bit that anybody said, like I was at convergence, yeah, man, it'd be really hard for me to be present because I'm crying in the midst of all of this. Yeah. And um, then on
1: the, uh, then you're going to, on the other side of that is like, now you're crying in the midst you, I cry the drop of a hat. Now you're like, I'm not capable of holding space because like oh my god i'm gonna cry And now you're thinking about thinking about crying so you just go down yeah. that rabbit hole of like just not being available
0: yeah and i and i want to make sure that i'm clear like there's a there's a there's a line to draw because i cry in councils all the time but it's like a controlled cry like it's just things just i'm an emotional person i am i've always been this way but i've since I've gotten into like my early stages of adulthood I've just accepted I'm like I am the guy that cries like my wife will look over at me in the middle of a movie and she'll be like did they get you and I'm like yes yes they did Captain America got me (laughs) seriously Captain America what What? like I was just watching I was just watching the Winter Soldier a little thing on Disney plus and I was like there was a part that got me to tear up because I'm because I think part of it is I I've developed the the skill of being able to be empathetic and put myself in someone's shoes and so i'm able to just really just on the drop of a hat immerse myself in imagining what that must feel like um which is a beautiful place to be and i'm so grateful that i have the ability to do that um but it's like a like i was saying it's just like it's like a controlled cry so like not full out blubbering. I am blowing my nose because snot is dripping down and like into my mouth, like all of yeah. like the ugly cries. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but there's like well, you know. said, like it, it's that it's a training. It's the convergence or the, the councils. That's the training ground. Yeah, so when we leave, when we leave those places, we can we now we can operate in our life with our with with your wife and your daughter and our families or our work, whatever we're doing with yep. that range.
0: Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, Okay, last question because it's come up and I have continued to think about it. Um, We've talked a lot about safety and like the sense of safety and you feeling the most safer you were in hospitals. Is that still the case now or where do you find your safety? Where does your safety come from now that you've been processing, going through the work um, if you need a moment for me, I'm going to speak to it really quick. For me, my safety comes in my trust in the universe, my trust in God. So I used to put my safety in external things. And depending on your belief system, God is still external. Um, but with mine, I'm, we are one and the same. And so for me, it is this sometimes wavering, but for the most part, I try to have it be an unwavering trust in the universe that God's got my back. God has always had my back. Why would anything change now? That is a phrase I say to myself when I am in situations that I'm either fearful, I feel maybe just stressed or anxiety, or I'm just, it's the unknown. I'm about to jump into something like this podcast. like, I have no idea if this is going to go well or if this is going to completely blow up in my face. I have not a single clue. But I have been provided for and taken care of my entire life why would anything change now and just that little bit of like bringing this just like almost logic to the feeling being able to just marry the two together is being able to logically think okay Nick think back on your life you've gone through some shit like uh, five days after I turned 16 I rolled my truck three and a half times and once end over end I should have died the sheriff helped me I had a cut on my foot and a bruise on the top of my head from when I unbuckled my seatbelt and nothing else. And I think back on those moments and I'm like, God's had my back. And that's a hell of a lot scarier than what I'm about to face now. Why would anything change? Nothing will change. God will always have my back. Uh, So for me, that's where my sense of security and safety comes from the most um, is just in this unwavering trust um, that, Hey, Hey, I'm gonna be taken care of. I've always been taken care of. I will continue to be taken care of.
1: Yes, Um, I could easily say, I got nothing to add there, mic drop, that's it. (laughs) I completely agree with you 100%. Um, My lens is, this. so it took for me to like, I basically had to go do inner child work and check myself out of the hospital. There was that, that one event I talked about where I ended up in the tent. I, know, I, I never left that tent for 30 years, you know, since that happened, since I was however old I was when that happened. Like I literally, my inner child stayed in that place of like, keep me safe, keep me here. Like, you know, like hunched over, like super aware of the surroundings, like all the things. And I, I literally had to go back and grab that kid by the hand, say like, listen, we're checking out. We're closing the door in this hospital room. We're never coming back here. Yeah. And I took him right to the tennis court. And I was like, we're playing tennis. Because that was like the opposite of the hospital for me was the tennis court. And so for me, now, um, my safety has turned into trust in myself. Trust, trust in myself in a sense that like, um, so I there was a time in 2009, um, my shame got too much for me and I tried to commit suicide. I was at a bar, hammered drunk. And I don't remember any of this. This, this came to me in a psychedelic ceremony, but... I, I fell off a balcony 30, 35 feet, landed on the pavement below, and I walked out of the hospital four days later with a chipped elbow, that was it. Oh and so, gosh. yeah, and so I, I've since learned that that was a, a suicide attempt. And so looking back at that, that was like the, 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 the all the betrayal in my life of my own. Uh, so my, I learned not to trust my body, and then I, I basically started betraying my own essence, my own energy, and so, that was because I didn't trust it. So, so fuck it. Like I didn't, sure. I, it's all, it's all betrayal. So now what I do is I check in, check in with my body. And this is the thing too. Like we are, we are one with, with God. We are one with the universe. Like we are the stardust. We are the, the same particles that made us up, made up the big, the things of the big bang and the, all the way back through time. It's, it's yep. you know, since it's all been recycled it's all being recycled over and over and over with past lives and all this stuff. and so tapping into all those things and learning to surrender to each experience and just know that there are no mistakes there are no coincidences like everything that's happening is one exactly what's supposed to be happening and two a choice that i made i chose it it's a soul contract this is this was designed by me for me 100%. and just know knowing that stuff means that i no longer have to fight the experience and be like why is this fucking happening i hate this yeah Like I may not enjoy every situation, but at least I can look and say, this is here for a reason. I've made it through all of the other ones and all like been through the stuff that you've talked about, like near death and whatever else, like been through all the things, like as much as I have not trusted my body, I'm still standing here breathing. Like, obviously my body's capable of something. So again, this, this goes into a more human experience of like, look at the facts, brother. Like yeah. I, the facts state that you have made it here this far, there, there is trust, there is safety and the universe has your back. No matter fucking what, the universe has your back and mm-hmm. everything here is for you, not to you. Everything yes. that's happening is, fu- is for you, no questions asked. Yep. And knowing, like dropping into that understanding just, it, it creates just like, it creates flow is what it creates.
0: Yeah. For those listening, how long did it take you to get to that point? <laughs> Where you had this understanding of everything is happening for me, not to me. Because that's such a, it's such a hurdle. Um, yeah. It was for me when I, when I, when I jumped it um, and it's, the, it's the pulling myself out of the victim mentality and yeah. taking responsibility and and ownership over my life, understanding that I chose all of this. Before I yeah. came here, I chose all of this. I forgot it all because what fun would it be if I knew it was going to happen next? But yeah. I chose all of this. <laughs> so if I chose it, I have to believe it's for a reason. Because like you said, nothing's by coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. Because yep. if, it, if it happened, it was supposed to. And it wasn't yep. supposed to happen any other way. Yeah, it couldn't happen any other way. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah. So how long um, did it
0: take you to get there?
1: Well, it, it's still, it's still going. It's still like, I still catch myself. Like it's a that's strong, perfect that's a, answer. that's a strong program, but I will say the shift happened probably, uh, three years ago, maybe. Um, and I was so deep in, like, I had done all that work about saving and, and, you know, like the other side of that, like, I need to be saved conversation is that I'm a victim. It's like saying like, I'm, if you're always fixing something, it means you're always broken. Like there's always like these shadow sides to these, these conversations. Yeah, I was so bad, so deeply into victim. Like I, had, I, wasn't, I didn't feel like a victim of my childhood illnesses or a victim of my alcoholism or a victim of, any of that anymore. But I was still so deep in it that like, I would like have my hands full of groceries and go to like put my key in the door as I'm carrying a 25 pound bag of groceries, fumbling around my keys and the keys would drop. And I'd be like, oh, of course, like, of course that happens to me. Like, of course I drop my keys. Universe is like, I'm like, that's how deep into victim I was. And I, and I, I, the shift came when a friend of mine said, just start laughing at that stuff. Like, that's like the response should be laughter when that happens. And that's when everything, and and literally it was like that, everything shifted. And I was like, of course, I, yeah, it went from like, of course I dropped my keys, like, oh, of course the keys dropped. Cause it's just like, you know, the universe has a sense of humor. And so that, that shift out of victim mentality was like the biggest thing, the biggest shift for me in that respect.
0: And that's huge laughter, inviting in more play, because that's Mm. something that I'll do too. And typically I find myself getting frustrated with those little things that happen when I'm already thinking about the next thing that I'm trying to get to i'm yep. trying to go too quickly which is why i didn't set down the grocery bag to just <laughs> do it the easier way <laughs> and just right. open the door yeah because uh, i was like well i'm gonna save time if i don't set them down i already got them in my hand i might as well like god yeah. it's such a, such a guy thing to think you it's so talk, yeah. it's so funny <laughs> it but it's is. but i'm so happy you said that and that i think that's where i want to land this conversation is with play and laughing mm. it off um yeah. because that's been something that I've, I've invited in with my daughter is just more laughter more play um because i have a tendency to just get serious and stay in a serious mode um, yeah. typically when i'm trying to think about what i'm going to go to do next uh, yeah
1: so it's, i love that that's
0: that's how it got brought up for you is just more more laughter just laugh at it because my wife yeah, tells me the same thing
1: we get so serious especially with the healing journeys like the the hero's journey like we I was like this is a serious thing I have to do this seriously but I've learned in the past few years that like joy and play are probably I used to say it was a huge part of it I would say it's the biggest part of healing is learning to enjoy again learning to play again like yes. when you can shit, when you can get to the point where like you can experience joy again and one of the things that for me was is like going down the road of like the microdosing and the psychedelic journey like I coming out of the alcoholics anonymous brainwashing thing like I had this thing like no that's drugs and it can't be you can't do that and so right. like it was only ceremonial and then I I started taking some mushrooms out with some friends at night or out on a hike and like this is just it's joy and connection and it's just it's just letting myself have fun yeah and it's and it becomes so it, those are the most healing experiences I've ever had is when I'm with people having great conversations like this, like experiencing joy, that is so good for the soul. It's like, there's no words for it. Like, it's just good. It It is is one of my favorite things about, when I was in Peru, the the Shipibo people, they have a word for good. And it's Hakun, H-A-K-U-N. And like, like, when they ask after a ceremony, how you doing, they are, Hakun good. Mm. And like, I, I just, I love that. I just love the way it, like, it just sounds cool. And it's just, yeah. it's just joy.
0: Uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, thank you for yeah, being one, on one, here. One, oh yeah. yeah I
1: have one more thing about your your daughter. Um, It made me think of this. My friend posted a meme or a picture of her daughter running through a field the other day. And she, the caption was like, she won't remember this, but I will. Yeah. The mom said that. And I'm like, and my first thought was like, yeah, your daughter, she's like five or six or whatever. Like her brain won't remember that, but her body will. Yes. Like her body will remember that joy and, yep. and take that with her. And so yeah. I, I just think like that's so fucking important to kids is just to experience joy.
0: It is. It is. Play and joy. Because yes, the subconscious remembers everything. <laughs> everything. 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 <laughs> and that's why it's so important yeah. to be present, to laugh have fun and play. And for me, playing has been this conversation. This is how I play now. This is the adult version of play for me is being able to just have wonderful conversations and and hear stories and uh, it's been so much fun talking with you. Uh, Yes, Aho, I learned what that meant. Okay, man, this conversation, this is a typical Midwest (laughs) goodbye. If you don't know, you say, okay, we're gonna end this. And then 25 minutes later, (laughs) um, I didn't know what Aho meant until Convergence. When we did Sweat Lodge and I learned what aho means and then matakriasin and then all that. Yeah, afterwards. yeah, yeah. Because I've been in councils where brothers say aho and I've never asked what it meant. I always always like, good for you. Don't know what that means, but I'll let you say that. All right. Yeah, it must be something good. But yeah. to hear that it means as it should be mm-hmm. is like, I love that. Like, mm-hmm. that's perfect. So, yes, aho. Yeah. Thank you for being here with me. It has been such a pleasure. Um, I want to open up the floor to you to talk about what you do and anything that you would like to share with um, the brothers listening, uh, the sisters that are listening, um, that want to stay in touch with you or work with you. Um, What do you have to say on that? Uh, First of all, thank you so much for
1: having the space, holding the space for us to have this conversation. Amazing container you've created here, brother. Thank you um second i want to send my condolences and my love and my healing to you and your wife for the what you just went through um i I feel you and i honor you and um continue grace with that um so serious stuff uh the way to get the way to find me is instagram is um at sam gibbs morris that's two b's sam gibbs morris at sam gibbs morris is instagram is the best way to find me um what i do is i I'm here to help create a safer world for the feminine by healing the masculine. So I work with men to heal their traumas, their stories, whatever it is, that's keeping them from being the man that they're capable of being for their world around them. And I have a, my my brand and my movement is called the full fuck yes frequency. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, as men, we, uh, we don't let ourselves say yes to ourselves a lot because we feel, this is, I say we, I'm gonna, I know this should be I statements, but I'm going to say we, because it's, I've seen it enough that it's a we, that we say no to ourselves out of like chivalry, or like a badge of honor, you know, because if we say no to ourselves, that means that everyone else around us gets a yes, and that's honorable. In reality, it's, that's, that's destructive, is what that is. Yes, there is an element to it of that, of like showing up and being there for, for the, for your people, the oxygen mask, but men need to say yes to themselves every chance that we get because yes. it doesn't mean that it we think that we say yes to ourselves it means that our world our kids our wife our parents our co-workers our friends get a no in reality we say yes to ourselves it means that everyone around us gets a bigger yes, yes. because we become more we become more into our warrior our king our divine masculine and so that's my mission is to help men drop into the full yes frequency so they can show up in their king and provide a safer world
0: for the feminine within them and the feminine around them. That's beautiful. I love it. You can get in touch with Sam Gibbs Morris, sending him a DM on Instagram. It's two B's, two R's as well. Yep, that's right. And uh, yeah, we'll spell it out for you really quick. (laughs) S-A-M-G-I-B-B-S-M-O-R-R-I-S. And yeah, yeah. I'm excited for for what's to come for you and the people that uh, would be blessed with with your presence, with your work. And uh, until next time, um, thank you again, Sam, for being here and everyone who's listening. I love you. I see you. I am you. We'll talk to you soon.